If you have your Bibles, you might like to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, I'd like to read the opening part of chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. If ever you go to Westminster Abbey in London, you will be sure to see one of the strangest sights in the building. Two women who were rivals in life, but who were actually buried next to one another in the very same tomb. And those two women were Mary and Elizabeth. Now, not the Mary and the Elizabeth of the Christmas story, but uh, Mary... Queen Mary, known to history as Bloody Mary, and her half-sister Elizabeth I, who succeeded her as queen. One was a Roman Catholic who martyred over 300 Protestant believers, and the other a staunch Protestant. Yet they're buried together in the same tomb. And the Latin inscription reads, Partners in throne and grave, here we sleep. Well, in Matthew chapter 2, you find another two monarchs next to each other. And again, they are both rivals. And again, they're both very different kings. They are the Lord Jesus Christ and King Herod. Both of them together in the same chapter, not in the same tomb, of course, but in the same chapter and both very different. In fact, it's interesting that the Gospel of Matthew, which is known to Christians as the Gospel of the King, opens with a controversy as to who is the real king. When wise men from the east called Magi arrive in Jerusalem asking, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They open a can of worms and disturb all Jerusalem. Because in the Roman Empire, nobody was born king anymore. They had to be appointed king by Caesar. And Herod had been appointed king, even though he wasn't even a Jew. He was an Edomian, an Edomite. And so instantly a controversy is launched. And as Matthew tells us the story of what happened next, we're left with the conviction that we're dealing with two very different kings. Kings who are different in their births, Kings who are different in their characters, kings who are different in their deaths, and kings who are different in their kingdoms. And I believe Matthew wrote this gospel to settle the matter as to who is the true king of the Jews that we should worship and who we should put our trust in. And so I'd like us just to superficially see these differences together if we can for our Christmas Eve meditation. First of all, then, the differences in their births. You know, the comedian Billy Connolly once famously said, the queen thinks that the world smells of wet paint. And I've often wondered if uh, he was right, because everywhere the late queen visited was poshed up first with a fresh lick of paint before she got there. In fact, everything was made perfect for her arrival. And that's how it is with royalty, isn't it? And to some degree, that's how it was with Herod as well. 
He was born in the year 73 BC to an Arab father by the name of Antipater, who was good friends with Julius Caesar. And that led to Herod, his son, being appointed king of the Jews some years later by the Roman Senate when they needed someone to be their puppet king over Judea. You could say, as an old English proverb puts it, that he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. But what a contrast with the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born the legitimate king of the Jews, as the wise men pointed out. And as Matthew chapter 1 proves by his family tree, going back to King David. When he was born, there was no fresh lick of paint. There were no connections with Roman Caesars to get him his throne. And instead, he was born in poverty to the family of a humble carpenter called Joseph. And as we read in Luke's gospel, on the night of his birth, he was actually born in a stable because there was no room for them in the inn. So what a contrast. Two very different kings. Now here's the question. If God is sovereign, which he most certainly is, and if he was the arranger of the manger, which he was, then why did he make it so? Why couldn't he have given the Lord Jesus the silver spoon treatment? Well, there are two answers to that question. One is for modesty and the other is for mercy. For modesty, because the Bible tells us in Philippians 2 verse 8, that Christ being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And he who was the pre-existing son of God in heaven deliberately took the lowest position possible to be an example to us who are his followers. And so the same chapter in Philippians says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We are called to follow him in humility. But the other reason was for mercy. You see, kings are not generally accessible to ordinary people, are they? But the Lord Jesus Christ came to be the friend of sinners. And so by his humble birth, he was accessible to shepherds and later tax collectors, the woman at the well and little children alike. He came to bring us all back to God if we will but put our trust in him. As Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What a wonderful king we serve in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it reminds me of General Stonewall Jackson. One of the uh, military leaders during the American Civil War. And on one occasion, his men were having to sleep outside under some trees in the snow during one of their campaigns. And as they woke in the morning with snow on their blankets, some of them were tempted to grumble about the general. Until suddenly, he rose up next to them, equally covered in snow. He brushed it off, cracked a joke, and then went off to make some coffee. And it turned out that he had ridden up to their camp during the night embedded down next to them. And as you can imagine, that incident won him the respect of the men he was leading from that time on because he came right down to their level. And so it is with Christ, our king in his humble birth as well. But then we see a difference in their characters. 
we see a difference in their characters. You probably know that King Herod is known in history as Herod the Great. But I wonder if you know modern historians prefer to call him Herod the Great Builder instead. Because he was a great builder on a par with the Emperor Hadrian and his building works remain for all to see in the uh, land of Israel today. But he certainly wasn't great in his character. In fact, he was cruel, ambitious, scheming, and above all, a life taker. We see this even in this chapter of Matthew with his shrewd dealings with the wise men and his murder of the children in Bethlehem. In fact, he even murdered his favorite wife, Mariam, and several of his sons because he thought they were plotting against him, along with many, many others. But in contrast, the Lord Jesus Christ is loving, kind, and above all, a life giver, not a life taker. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And the Apostle John in the same gospel says, in him was life, and that life was the life of men. Yes, he came to be a life giver, not a life taker. We see this again and again in his miracles of healing, his raising the dead, and above all, his giving eternal life to those who put their trust in him. It's a beautiful thing to serve a king like the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer Dostovsky said, I believe there is no one lovelier, deeper, more sympathetic and more perfect than Jesus. Not only is there no one else like him, but there could never be anyone like him. And he's right. Tennyson said his character was more wonderful than the greatest miracle. And I agree. And just as a point of application, I would say this. We Christians need to remember that our strongest argument for Christianity is Christ himself. You know, more Muslims have been won to Christ by comparing the life and love of the Lord Jesus to that of Muhammad than by any other means. So let's lift him up and exalt his person to those around us. Thirdly, we see a difference in their deaths. You know, it's confusing, but in the year 4 BC, King Herod died, a 70-year-old man, described by historians as being dropsical, gangrenous, and racked with burning pains. He'd actually been ill for quite a long time, and none of the cures of the day could, could heal him. However, despite his suffering, Herod died as a king in all his royal elegance. He actually died in Jericho, where he had one of his palaces, and was taken to a place called Herodium, seven miles away from Bethlehem, to be buried. And author Stuart Perrone, in his book, The Life and Times of Herod the Great, gives us a vivid description of his funeral procession. He says... On the day, the funeral convoy left Jericho. All the regalia had been brought out. The body lay on a golden bier, encrusted with gems beneath a long purple pool. The dead king wore his diadem and a gold crown above it. His scepter was in his right hand. Immediately next to the bier were his sons and all his family. Then came the army in the following order, the Royal Guard, the Thracian Regiment, the German Regiment, the Galatian Regiment, regiments of the line, all in full battle order. 
the army was followed by 500 of Herod's servants carrying spices. Can't you picture it? And you think of our, our late queen's funeral, it paints a very vivid mental picture with that comparison, doesn't it? A truly royal occasion. But how did the Lord Jesus Christ die by comparison? Well, friends, the Bible tells us that he died as a king as well. And he also wore a crown. But in this case, it was a crown of thorns. And his death was the death of a cross. And in Matthew 23, verse 37, we read, Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Like King Herod, he suffered, only his suffering wasn't from old age or illness. It was the suffering of God's wrath for our sin, which he bore in our place. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Yes, The Lord Jesus died as our substitute so that we can have the chance to be forgiven and go to heaven rather than hell when we die if we turn to him in repentance and faith. That's the difference in their deaths. Herod died for himself, but the Lord Jesus died for you and me. The other difference, of course, is the fact that King Herod stayed dead. But the Lord Jesus arose again on the third day, praise his name. And so we talk of Herod in the past tense, but the Lord Jesus is still alive and receiving sinners like you and me to himself. The question is, will you come and put your trust in him? The final difference is the difference in their kingdoms. There's no doubt about it. King Herod wanted to establish a dynasty, a new dynasty of kings in his own name that would last long after he was gone, maybe forever. But it was doomed to failure. We read in Matthew chapter 2, verse 22, that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod. But Caesar Augustus soon judged him to be incompetent and removed him from power. Judea and Samaria were then ruled over by a Roman governor, eventually a man called Pontius Pilate. And Herod's other sons were reduced to becoming tetrarchs, not kings, in local leadership. And thus Herod's kingdom came to an end. Now friends, contrast that with the Lord Jesus Christ, who the Bible tells us is one day going to come back and reign, not only over Israel, but over the whole world. As Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen and amen. I can't wait, can you? Now, I read this story from a pastor in America in the 1960s called Robert Russell, who said, There was a house near the entrance of our subdivision that kept their Christmas lights burning long after the season was passed. They burned through January. Even through February, those outside lights burned every night. Finally, about the middle of February, I became a bit critical and said, if I were too lazy to take my Christmas lights down, I think I'd at least turn them off at night. 
But about the middle of March, there was a sign outside of their house that explained why they'd left their lights on. It said simply, welcome home, Jimmy. We learned that family had a son in Vietnam and they had unashamedly left their Christmas lights on in anticipation of his return. When I read that story, I thought we should keep our spiritual lights burning for Christ as we wait for our King. As the Lord Jesus said in Luke 12, 35, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return. So friends, the differences are staggering between Herod and Christ. I just want to ask you this morning, will you take Christ to be your king this Christmas? It's one thing to sing about him in all these carols. It's something else to know him personally. So as the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And Christ will become your king. Well, we're going to sing our our final hymn now this morning, which is Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. Let's stand and sing. Sons of earth, born to give the 
Well, just before we finish, I'd like to wish you all a very happy Christmas and a lovely Christmas Eve too. But perhaps I could close now by saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. God bless.